Welcome to the Bonus Years Podcast, where real people share real stories, providing hope and community. I'm Brooke, and I'm your host. Let's get started. Good morning, Philip. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for joining me today on the Bonus Years Podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Of course. So um, I want to dive right into your story because I've read about you and um, I've talked to you now a little bit and you are so involved in the transplant community. Um, But we want to know you as a person and kind of how you ended up where you are. So let's start at the beginning, shall we? (laughs) I would love to hear from when Philip was born, the, the whole transplant story. Uh, well, in in a nutshell, the 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 smaller version of the story. Um, at age four, I was diagnosed uh, with CKD uh, due to uh, post strep, um, and that made my kidney function drop to thirty percent. Um, I worked on thirty percent to the age of sixteen when my doctor called me and said that my kidney functions was rapidly declining. Um, age 17, I had a transplant. Uh, three years later, age 20, it rejected. Um, two months after that rejection, um, I had emergency brain surgery, uh, heparin-induced uh, subdural hematoma. Um, and then, you know, dealt with a number of, you know, basic transplant health issues, um, you know, gout. And, and a number of other things of that nature and uh, kind of was, you know, in and out the hospital. Part of it was um, my brain surgery and things of that nature. So um, got to about 2018 was when my health started to get uh, better. Um, ended up going to uh, the Transplant Games of America that summer in 2018 in Salt Lake City. Um it's where I met uh, Edward Drake, the CEO of the Why Not Foundation, um, which I've been a part of for the past three years now. Um, and Why Not means youth needing organ and tissue transplant. Um, and so what we do is we help uh, and provide services uh, to pediatric pre and post transplant patients and their families um, around the country. Um, you know, so we do, you know, we do a number of different things, um, within the, uh, pediatric transplant space. Um, and then, uh, went 2022, went back to the transplant games. Um, right before that, I was told that I would need, a open heart surgery, um, because I have, uh, two enlarged aorta valves and a ascending aneurysm in my heart. Um, so that's kind of where that that's the, the super short version uh, <laughs> of the story. Well, and that's a lot. That's a jam-packed story. <laughs> You've been through quite a few things. Definitely. I am interested in hearing just because anytime I hear about childhood transplant mm-hmm. and um, organ failure, I'm I'm thinking about, you know, what the kid can remember, what the family is dealing with. 
what memories do you have uh, in early childhood of what was going on with you? Uh, well, my memory starts literally from day one um, when I had uh, my seizure after my kidneys failed. Um, had them in my grandparents' house, uh, in my grandparents' arms, and I was literally shaking for about a good 10 minutes um, before they kind of got got me calmed down and everything. And then uh, I remember getting getting in the truck, my dad taking me to Children's Hospital of L.A. Um, and the when I got into out the truck, I, I went into another seizure. Um, I think it was mm-hmm. just because of the impact of my body hitting the concrete that just, you know, uh, made it just go off. Uh, and it stopped by the time I got in the hospital. And then, you know, just thankfully, when the doctors came out, I went into another one, which was, and, and I didn't realize this then, but I, I did now after actually visu- uh, visiting uh, one of my old professors. Her son has um, epilepsy and a number of other health issues, and uh, he's dealing with you know seizures and things of that nature. And they had him on uh, a monitor to monitor his seizures and uh, what happens during them and things of that nature. And uh, when I had that seizure in front of him, he knew exactly what was going on um, at that time, and you know. Even again, all this time, I still didn't understand what he was saying until I went and visited uh, my professor's uh, kid in the hospital. And I'm like, wow, they could actually just by seeing what kind of seizures you had, can they figure out what's wrong with you? And and there's not too many health issues that they can do that with. It takes, you know, blood tests and biopsies and things of that nature. Um but you know, I mean that that's really the the biggest uh well part of the biggest part of, of my childhood part of my story um was the beginning and the ending to that was going to dialysis and transplant. So I went on dialysis at sixteen, um, had my transplant six months later at seventeen, um, and we all know, you know, eighteen is, is pretty much you know, the beginning of adulthood. So, um, you know, everything uh, went really kind of clear. I had a normal life as a kid, you know, no no issues, really no, no suffering, no health issues. Went to every monthly appointment and everything like that. Had two great uh, pediatric nephrologists that oversaw my health um, and made sure everything was good with my, well, you know, good with myself. So, um, I was in a in a good place um, as as a pediatric patient. Um, I had a great support system. So, yeah, that sounds like uh, a really hard thing to navigate as a kid. I mean, I I hate that you were able to remember all the details of that. That's got to be traumatic in some ways. Uh, well, the, the reason why it's not as traumatic as it could have been um, was because at an early age. I understood that kids make fun of things they don't understand. And mm. so I kept my illness to myself. 
So nobody in school knew that I was dealing with kidney disease. Um, wow. Even in high school, until I had my transplant, nobody knew. It was probably like four people that knew I had kidney disease all the way through high school. I had my transplant my senior year in high school, um, and nobody knew, you know, until I ended up showing up to graduation and people were like, well, where, where, you, where have you been the past, you know, six months? And like at home recovering. And, you know, that's when I kind of wow. told them. Um, and even to this day, like, I think a lot of people that I went to school with in like elementary school are just now finding out, you know, that I had kidney disease at that time. And they were like, you didn't look like it at all, you know, and I intended it to be that way because I didn't want to be the pity party of school. I didn't want people just yeah. like, you know, treating me different because I was sick. You know, I wanted a normal life like anybody else would, you know, would want uh, while dealing with any type of health issues or anything like that as a kid. So um, mm. like I said, I kept, I kept those things to myself and I didn't want, I didn't want the issues of having to explain something that to a kid that wouldn't understand what I'm telling them anyways. You know, yeah. like I said, when kids don't understand stuff, they laugh, they make fun of it. That's their way of getting past not understanding or not knowing uh, what's going on. So for me, it was, it was, to me, it made no sense to try to explain it to them. It was like, I'd rather just keep it from them and go ahead and live my normal life, you know, as normal as I can, at least, at least within, you know, uh, the, the at least the the walls of my life, you know, that, I, you know, I understand that I'm not a normal kid, but to them and everybody else, I'm as normal as everybody, you know, all these other kids out here, you know, playing, you know, play football, you know, uh, road bikes and everything like that. You know, so nothing really yeah. changed for me um, as a kid um, until uh, dialysis. Mm. And when did you start dialysis? Uh, when I was 16. Okay. And what did that look like as far as like being a student and being involved in other things? Very secretive still. Um, mm. Nobody... No, it, it was it was crazy is that you would think it'd be something hard to hide when you play football. Uh, but uh, the only people who knew that I had it were uh, people that that got dressed on my row. Um, and that was only because I needed help wrapping my ace bandage around to keep it secure. Uh, and my mm -hmm. coach would, you know, often go to the field early. And that's who I usually would have uh, helped me wrap it. And yeah. so, uh, like I said, even, even then, very little people knew that I was, you know, on dialysis at that time. So it was, for me, a typical day at school was uh, get up in the morning, you know, uh, I didn't take you know take my shot now before I take it in the morning, get dressed, go to school, 
uh, go through school, go to practice, uh, come home. Nine times out of ten, when I came home, dinner was already cooked. Uh, I get my machine, my dialysis machine together because I did it uh, peritoneal at home, uh, which was the only reason why I was able to still play football and, and go to school. Um, mm. You know, get on my machine and, and you know, and eat and go to sleep and then wake up and do it all over again. How was that on your mental health? Uh, did you feel like you had to be secretive about it? Did you feel like that was your decision and that like was empowering for you? I just think it was just something that I felt I needed to keep up um, from when I was younger. Um, again, not everybody is as mature as other people, even in high school. So I'll give you a real quick example. Um, when I went back to school after my transplant, right, because I couldn't do, well, I should have been able to finish my second semester of senior year at home, but the counselor I had was not up to her standards of, mm. of being a counselor and gave us the wrong information. So um, I didn't take any classes that second semester at school. Uh, at home, so I went back to school to to finish those classes to get my diploma and everything um, because I, I started school early, so I was technically a year behind everybody else age wise. So it gave me that that gap, that space of time because mm-hmm. once you're 19, that's when they kick you out. So um, I just decided, you know, I'm just gonna go ahead and keep all this to myself. Um, and it stayed like that for a long time. Even when I got into college, when I started college, I kept it to myself for a long, long time. Uh, and then it wasn't until um, I I joined a Urban Teacher Fellowship, which is a a, a club that was, that we had on campus for individuals that wanted to become teachers, um, and if it wasn't for the fact that we were traveling, going to these conferences like once every other month, I probably still would have kept it to myself. But then I had to think, I'm like, if something happens while, you know, I'm away from home or away from family, they need to know what to be able to tell, you know, paramedics or doctors or whatever, if something is Mm -hmm. happening. And so that's what I was like, I need to kind of come come out of my shell and, and tell these people, you know, what's actually going on. So, but, uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a, that's a tricky thing. A lot of transplant patients try to figure out how to navigate because we, we want our right to privacy, uh, and not everybody know in our business. <laughs> right. And then at the same time, like we need support. And so we have to make those decisions based on our environment. And the first time I had to make those decisions, because my transplant was at age 20 and it was very sudden. Mm. So I went back to college and people had to know because I was, you know, six, seven hours from my family. So right. I needed a new support system of people who could help me right. when I needed to be driven to the hospital or was acting a little bit crazy out of my head, um, which I think is so, so valuable. Um we talked a little bit about uh, mental health when we were getting ready for this interview. Um, and 
you you had some interesting uh, solutions that you have for yourself <laughs> uh, to manage your mental health. I would love for you to share that with our audience. Um, staying busy, really. Um, making sure that I consistently have uh, something to work on um, in, mm-hmm. in some type of capacity. Um, now I'm in school, I'm taking online classes and uh, so like now I'm, I'm in this anthropology class and it's the lab part of the class. So it's not as much work as the actual class. Um, but we haven't had an assignment posted in like a week, a week and a half. And that's not good for me because I need stuff to work on. You know, <laughs> and I, you know, it gets to a point where. I've worked so much that all my work is done. And I'm like looking around and I'm like, all right, well, what am I about to rewatch for the 18th hundred time? You know, just <laughs> trying to keep me from sitting and soaking and, and, you know, um, thinking what ifs and things of that nature. Um, so, but yeah, like I said, just kind of keeping myself busy working on something. Um, you know, I have I have my own brand, The Second Chance. I work with the Why Not Foundation, like I mentioned earlier. Um, you know, and and it's it's a lot that goes into the Why Not Foundation as well as The Second Chance. Um, you know, especially on uh, the the digital graphic side and things of that nature. Um, you know, like I said I have my own show. We just started our own magazine. Um, the Why Not Foundation just started uh, its own podcast as well. Uh, so I'm doing the graphics for, for you know, intro and flyers and stuff like that for them, as well as just doing the things that need to be worked on within the foundation. Um, and with, with the second chest, you know, we're just, we're, trying to get to 501c3 status so I'll work on that as well um mm-hmm. and like i said have you know school so um but then we have those those gaps in time where you know it's like well, it's done to work on for school and i've done all my work you know for everything else and i'm like like what why i just now this is the time i need a lot of a ton of school work to do and you don't want to give me any yeah. Then of course, when I get a ton of classwork, I'll complain about that too. So, <laughs> well, that's that's pretty normal, <laughs> I think. Uh, when we're not busy, we need more stuff to do, and then when we have too much stuff to do, we wish we were less busy. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, so you are going to school. You've started your own brand. Um, you are hosting a conference that I want you to share a little bit about. I mean, you're doing all these crazy exciting things how on earth do you have the energy to do all of this well believe it or not i i don't sleep that much um i i don't um i was surprised i got sleep last night for this interview i said i know if i don't go to sleep i'm gonna fall asleep around six seven o'clock in the morning and i'm not gonna get up to about 9 (laughs) 30. When it's time to walk out the door for <laughs> dialysis, so I kind of force myself to go to sleep. Um, but I don't really get that much sleep. I usually I usually stay up to about five or six o'clock in the morning. 
fall asleep for about two hours, and then wake right back up and do it all over again. Um, wow. And and it's been like that. It's been like that for some time. I mean, I, I was like that even at a younger age. Um, I, I would function on the same amount of sleep in, even in high school. You know, I'd stay up till three or four o'clock in the morning, go to sleep, wake up at five thirty, get ready to go to school, walk out the house at six. So, wow, it uh, it's just it's just how I function, you know. Um, but to to kind of uh, touch on what you mentioned earlier, um, the conference. Um, the guys at the transplant conference uh, came about when I realized that there's a reason why um, a lot of people aren't placed on the list in enough time to get a transplant before they, they pass away. And, and yeah. part of that reason is because um, these healthcare professionals aren't some of them, very little of them, but, but there are some that aren't, telling these patients what they need to be doing and don't need to be doing in order to get placed on the list and in order to stay on the list. And, and when, mm. and when you really think about it, those are two totally different lists of what you need to do to get put on it and what you need to do to stay on it. Um, as there are some things that are the same, but there are some things that change at the same time. Um, you know, Really, when it comes to getting on a list, you can really kind of do the bare minimum as long as you're like in range of your labs and, you know, you're consistent with your compliance and things of that nature, you know, do your blood work and make your appointments and things that, you know, and, but when you get placed on the list, they want you to be um, a lot more proactive uh, with their health. They want to make sure that, you're in the actual range of where you should be with your labs, not too high, not too low, things that mm-hmm. nature. So certain things change um, when you get to the side of staying on the list. And that's what I want to get the information out there for people to know is so that it gives, it makes it an even playing field um, for the most part. There are some, some things that make it uneven uh, that we won't touch on today, but um you know, it kind of makes it a little bit more even because now people will know what they should be doing and what they shouldn't be doing uh, yeah. to have that opportunity to be on a list and stay on a list long enough to, to receive a transplant. Yeah, I think that's a tremendous uh, undertaking for you to host this and and share this. And I think it's going to benefit a lot of a lot of people. If you had to give like one piece of advice today to uh, someone who um, maybe has chronic kidney disease or is waiting for a transplant or maybe hoping to get listed, what would be like the one thing you would want to say to a person like that? Uh, the one thing, and this, I say this often, is, is be your own self-advocate um, because it is up to you to receive uh, the best health care that you can you know, receive. It's up to mm-hmm. you to put yourself in the, in the position um, to to get the right information 
Um, and I say this uh, often as well is that if you don't show these your teams that you care enough to be your own self advocate, what makes you think that they're going to care? Mm. I mean, they'll care, but they're not going to care to the extent of understanding that that your health is number one in your life. You know, yeah, and that's when your teams and your doctors go above and beyond to make sure. You know, you get placed on the trend as opposed to just watching over your health. Um, yeah. So, you know, and and I I have a, a great team, and honestly, it took me a while to understand the self advocacy part of it. Um, but once I did, things just kind of switched around for me uh, tremendously. Um, you know, I, I my doctor was already working as hard as he could to give me in a better position health wise, but it just seemed like you just kind of went up another level once I made that transition for myself. Advocacy is so important and it does take time to learn. Definitely. <laughs> um, I I'm 17 years post transplant and I'm still learning uh, better ways to advocate for myself and to help other people feel empowered to advocate for themselves. So Thank you for your input today, and thank you for sharing your story. Uh, no problem. Again, thank you for having me. I greatly appreciate it. Awesome. Well, I hope that your dialysis goes well today and that uh, your conference goes well, and I'm going to make sure we have links for everyone to be able to sign up and follow you and make sure they are up to date on what's going on with A Second Chance. Awesome. De definitely appreciate it. Thank you for listening today. We're always so glad you're here. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a quick moment to subscribe, rate, and comment. Because we share good things with our friends, pass along this episode to someone you thought of today. As always, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at The Bonus Years and on our website, www.thebonusyearsblog.com.